Welcome to the Vitruvian Man podcast. This is your host, Vinamra Kasana. In this podcast, we cover the human form in all its mental and physical glory. Today, I have my good friend, Adrian Thomas. Adrian is a bonafide journalist at Boston University, and he's actually got a couple of awesome things in his credentials, including being the director of one of WTBU's, which is BU's radio station, top shows, um, BU in the Morning. He's also worked with Sirius XM Radio, where he was responsible for... Um, working on uh, production for Andy Cohen Live. And he's also been the co-editor-in-chief of Words Campus Media, which is a big college publication, pretty famous across the United States, uh, where he interviewed a lot of artists and um, just explored the musical talents of the US. Um, and finally, recently, he was working with Panda Radio UK, which is a UK-based radio station, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he, he was responsible for writing the Daily News Bulletin. His storytelling skills are obviously impeccable. <clears throat> Without further ado, um, let's begin. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, man. happy to be here. All right, so <clears throat> we're going to do a couple of questions, uh, but I really want to ask you about storytelling because that's mm-hmm. something that fascinates me. I mean, I've always been fascinated by just the idea of being able to stream together events and then create a narrative and then form a story so that it's accessible to generations. One of the things that I think about often is, you know, like if the articulated voices of our generation often shape culture. Like, even if that voice is a rap star, and even if that voice is a journalist, you know, it's it's all about uh, shaping culture in a way. So I guess the first question that I want to ask you is, like, uh, stories are all around us, man. Like, everywhere from the way humans were created, the earth, creation myths, those are stories, to the sort of identity politics and uh, kind of narratives that exist around uh, people's identities today. So, and, and they all have one thing in common, which is one narrative that binds a whole people um, so you've done a lot of different things. You've created content for various different platforms and various different mediums. What just what got you into this? I think it it goes back um, to when I was very young. Um, I was just always naturally very curious about the world around me. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough to have parents who were very vocal with me even when I was a toddler and and really young. Um, How so? So, you know, it, it was just a matter of when I was young, I would ask my parents about, you know, their lives before I was born and they would tell me all about it. I mean, it could be anything from, you know, the towns that they grew up in to the music they listened to, to the political events that happened when, you know, when, when, when they were kids um, and things like that. So it was just a natural curiosity that I had that was really just, kind of inadvertently encouraged by my parents just through a lot of our conversations that we had. Um, you know, I, I, I think about, um, I think about one of the earliest, one of, one of, I think one of the earliest times I, one of my like earliest memories of, you know, watching like news and consuming a lot of media was in, the 2000 election between George Bush and Al Gore. I didn't quite understand what was going on. I mean, mm-hmm. granted, it was 2000. I was... Yeah. three years old, four I, years old. I was like four and a half, five. Yeah. But for whatever <clears throat> reason, I was very... I was just I was just fascinated by it. I was fascinated by the whole... I didn't, And again, did not really quite understand what was going on, but I was mm-hmm. just fascinated by the idea of, wow, like, what what's an election? What's you know, what? what is this major event going on? Why, everyone's paying attention to it. And just 
observing around me how how everyone was so into what was going on yeah. um that was just something that i thought was fascinating even at such a young age i didn't quite understand it and obviously you know it, it's just it's it's built and built and built since then um you know uh, especially in high school that's kind of like when i started to really build on my passions more getting involved with different student media at my high school and things like that um yeah it's just kind of been something that that's been with me my whole life and just to sum it up it's just been a i just have a huge curiosity about the world around me and the people in it that's really fascinating man um one of the things that you said was how people were entranced almost by by that big event that was happening you know i can imagine like mm-hmm. 18 years ago watching an election is like that is the event that is what people are going to focus on it's like live stop uh livelihood also stops in some senses right and and uh the notion of day trading attention you know just like uh basically i think of it now like in 2018 i mean attention is currency you know everyone's on their devices everyone's glued to some kind of media outlet everyone's like getting information like you said consuming content so that, so that so that uh that leap from voraciously consuming content being fascinated by it to now creating content and that too for like anywhere from you know i saw your interviews uh with, with different political personalities and and then, and then then there's a whole music part of it yeah those are two really disparate elements you know mm-hmm. the politics and the music so i mean i guess my question to you is as as a layman it's often difficult to stream together what seems like only facts and to create them and present them in a way that it gives you a cohesive picture so that it's a story how do you go about knowing that what is a story and what qualifies as a story and what's not mm-hmm. that's a really good question um it all kind of comes down to you know what are you what are you trying to get across in the conversation that you're having um you know if i'm interviewing a city councilor um a boston city councilor about affordable housing i've done mm-hmm. a story on that before um you know if it if it's a subject like that it's it's you kind of want to put yourselves in the shoes of the person you're interviewing mm-hmm. and think like okay what what are these what what are these people's goals and what's their mission and what can i learn from that right so by putting yourself in their shoes before you ask them the questions why you're asking them the questions it kind of that's where you really get the story from um and you know it goes back to what i said about how humans just kind of have a natural curiosity about learning about one another and and you know learning about different facets of our daily existence um then there's a lot that can be learned from any type of story whether it's something more hard news and political or something more entertainment and artistic i've interviewed a lot of artists and that's something i'm very very passionate about um i think you can learn a lot about the world by showcasing art and celebrating art specifically musicians because um you know even though i've i've talked to a lot of artists who are of pretty similar genres whether that's hip hop artists pop artists producers dj's whatever 
there's still each person kind of has their own story and with music people put their whole lives and their emotion and their whole mental capacity into this one thing that they're creating and so you can that in and of itself that 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 tells a huge story um you know i i think about i think back to one of the art one of um an artist i interviewed he was he's he's haitian and he's from you know he's born in the boston area but you know was born to haitian parents um his name was Guy claude lacosed and he was i he like randomly uh, my sophomore year was on bu in the morning um he came with like another artist that we were interviewing he just came with this other artist um but he like whipped out his guitar and he like played one of his songs and i was like i was fascinated by him and i thought that he was so he just had a lot of talent i could tell his emotion that he was putting into his music was very authentic and um then i profiled him for verge campus and that was like a whole whole in-depth profile and like what i learned through him was not only you know not only did i learn more about his music but i learned a lot about the background to what he was putting into his music you know his his kind of conflicting identity of growing up in america but being 100 percent haitian and kind of combining his the 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 Haitian elements of his life in into his music and integrating it and um that was just really fascinating to me because I learned about a different country and culture that I otherwise really wouldn't have known much about you know what I mean mm-hmm. um so you know going back to your original question again I think it's just it's a matter of putting yourself in the shoes of whatever subject your story is about yeah um and just kind of seeing it from their perspective right um Okay, because I, I did read, um, I briefly uh, glanced at uh, the one you did with um, the lead singer of Glass Animals. Yes, Dave <laughs> and, Bailey. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a, a pretty prominent band, to mm-hmm. say the least. At least uh, in the United States. I know one of my roommates went to their concert. He loved it. <clears throat> There's a huge uh, following for them. So when you bring someone like that who's already established, you know, who has, uh, let's just say, a repertoire in, in their background... Mm-hmm how do you know what questions to ask? Like, how do you know, like, this would appeal to them? Or do you, I mean, what I'm really asking you to break down, I know it's hard, is is, is kind of the, the process behind, you already have the subject, so that's okay. Be, the, the process behind asking them what sort of questions you want to ask them and then kind of seeing where the questions will take you. And then the third thing is the audience for which you're asking those questions because I feel like that's something that I don't know about it, at least um, because it like I'm not a journalism major per se, but I definitely think that you know journalism is about let's just say uh, pursuing the truth and then reporting it right and then verifying the truth also right. So when you get someone from the entertainment industry who's who's made a big name for themselves, um, how do you how do you still bring out their their other side? Because you can you can go in as an entertainment show host who does not have a degree in journalism, by the way, so they can kind of ask them, like, trivia questions and stuff, right? And then, oh, what's your favorite thing? Blah, 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 right? But as as someone who has a journalism background, you, you definitely have an affinity for, you know, finding the story beneath the story. Mm-hmm. So, yes, how do you do that? So, um, with, you know, with an artist like Dave Bailey from Glass Animals, you know, 
and it's an accomplished, very accomplished <clears throat> artist. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had the opportunity to interview some other fairly accomplished people in the music industry. Um, and when you talk to people like that, yeah, you know, you have their latest music that you're plugging, you have their tour that they're, that you're plugging, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, but with, with, with people like that, it, I, I think what's really effective is when you talk to them about kind of the origin of everything. Right. Um, you know, the origin of their sound, you know, what was your, what was your first gig? What was that like? What was going through your head? Um, you know, what's, what's been one of the most eye-opening experiences as, as a band? Um, you know, ask them about their relationships when, you know, with, when, when their close circle, like with their family members, with significant others and how their identity as an artist plays into that. Um, I think it's just a matter of being casual and candid and, you know, asking them about, you know, kind of just basic, base, basic human things, really, yeah. and, and kind of tying that into their, and tying that into their work. I see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that, that makes sense, because if you just ask them, like, oh, what's your album about, and blah, 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 you just kind of get this promotional feel to it, Yeah. whereas you want to bring out the humanness of someone, and, and I feel like that's primarily the reason why people like they barely come to shows like yours is, is to is to you know have the chance to uh, be more candid about stuff that mm-hmm. uh, they would not have the opportunity to talk about say in a more I don't know like like an MTV kind of outlet right where it's yeah. it's more like uh, the trivia kind of stuff mm-hmm. but I I do want to move on and talk to you about like the current state of media because um, <clears throat> there's a lot to talk about there's there. a lot to talk about that of course um, so. I believe, and since I'm not from the U.S., so correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution says that uh, the government or any of its affiliates shall not interfere with the the opinions. Do you want me to just recite it? For sure. That, that'd be awesome. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof mm-hmm. or abridging the freedom of the press or of the or of the right of the people to peaceably assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. So, I think I just mentally came. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the first amendment, Congress shall make no law. So Congress doesn't make any law. Yeah. That silences the press. Having said that though, um but we, and yeah. that's the thing. Our first amendment the words are very powerful, but Proceed with what you were going to ask me. I was going to ask you. Because let's look at where we're at right now. uh, I was going to ask you. So despite that law, I think it goes without saying that when we say Congress, we have to include, say, arguably the most powerful man in the world as as a part of it. At least, you know, if you're, let's just say, like, to name drop here, Donald Trump, right? If you you are the head of a country, right, and, and the Constitution says that you must not interfere or move public opinion in a certain way about an, a really important pillar of, of a democracy and which is media, right? Donald Trump fires away tweets that say, you know, CNN is fake news and, you know, all of that. Everything is fake news. Fuck the mainstream media is, is a popular one again. With so much criticism coming in toward media from, from really at the top, someone who has the, the potential and actively uses that potential to frame opinion, there's a skepticism about mainstream media. Mm-hmm. People are now skeptic about 
facts, which mm-hmm. is something journalism is grounded in. People are skeptical about news stories. People are skeptical about this term, which seemed to emerge out of nowhere, uh, fake news. So with all this criticism and, and um, dissent almost that, that's happening, how do you still deliver the news, man? Like, Yeah. Um, and feel free to rant if you want. Oh, that's a loaded question. Um, I think... I, I think what the biggest thing is is that truth and facts they this and this this sounds simple but they're they're real they're tangible they're right in front of your face mm-hmm. and you know unfortunately we're living in a time right now where you know because we have access to so much information information overload rather on our phones yeah um and you know on our laptops and we're just getting bombarded with it constantly yeah a lot of people because that information is coming to them so quickly and so easily they view that as truth and it's just it, it's a problem it is such a problem i mean the you look at the election you look at all the problems that happened it was you know it was it was all of there were so many just illegitimate websites and platforms that were perpetuating stories that had no fact or or any any sort of basis in truth um and i just you know i i think it's one of those things that we have to believe in our institutions we have to believe in our fellow man and that's where that's where truth comes from and there's an onslaught on facts and truth right now by one of the most powerful people in the country, if not the world. Um, I do think, though, that as just as many people who believe the president mm-hmm. and his antics, there's just as many people who don't and right. who believe in truth. Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't think there's going to be some, like, rapture or anything like that. But... We are in an age right now where a lot of people are just not consuming media intelligently. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom, she is an English teacher, a middle school English teacher. And one of the electives she taught um, in her first couple years at the school she teaches at now back in Indiana was a class called Media Literacy. And it was about... Media Literacy. Media Literacy, yes. That's really interesting. And so what Media Literacy was about was pretty much being media literate you know which sources of news and media are legitimate mm-hmm. which aren't um you know facts being backed up with sources uh and 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 things like that and it's shocking a lot of people in this country are not media literate and you know and it it's 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 scary to think about but that's that's where we're at right now but I think I think media literacy is 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 a very important issue right now, and a lot of people just aren't media literate. Um, so again, when you're delivering the news, it's just a matter of being persistent with the facts, uh-huh. showing the evidence, and just not and just not backing down. Yeah, but I hate to play the <clears throat> sorry, I hate to play the devil's advocate no, here. Keep, keep but, um, play the devil's advocate. But. I do believe that 
the injection of the term alternative facts and I know there's yeah. it's, it's a really controversial polarizing term but it, it does it does kind of imprint on even the most rational media literate person's mind a doubt about the source that they're consuming the media from you know because I mean I see it like this um, so so now what's happening is that there's so many news outlets first of all uh, we're we're not consuming news. You're a journalism major, major, so you you would obviously consume news in a more formulaic sense than than the average person. But just you know, you you skim through your Facebook yeah. on your commute to work, or you check your phone as you're eating food, and you kind of scroll through all the stuff mm-hmm. that comes in mm-hmm. front of you. And there's algorithms on social media now in which if you consume one kind of news channel, it will not present you with contrasting evidence or news. It will often use the algorithms in a way so that if you're consuming, let's just say, ultra right-wing news, mm-hmm. then that's the thing that you will see again and again and again, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So so what I see now is the reason why I say alternative facts is like, it's really easy to be caught in the polarizing whirlwind of one kind of news. Mm-hmm. And and with, with things like alternative facts, like I, I bring the question back to you in the sense that even in journalism, I think one of one of the really interesting things I like about it is that when you read a news story, right? For example, a man killed a family of two, but the family of two was, let's just say, psychopaths, right? Let, let's just assume, let's go far away and assume mm-hmm. that, right? So, it comes down to morals, right? Because because when you when you report that story, you write down articles first. You you start off with Okay, there was a killing. This man killed these people, right? And then you give kind of the testimonies of that man, but then you expose another side and say, well, these people also had this thing to say, right? So, so it's like there's two truths. There's not one singular universal truth. And the journalist's job is to, is to find that or the closest approximation to that truth and bring it to the public. But now with the polarization, now with the alternative facts, it's, it's like, more difficult than ever. I don't know. Could you talk more about that? Because that's something that I definitely face. Like even, even the most prominent news articles, uh, news outlets that come on my newsfeed, I look at them with skepticism more so than I had done in the last four or five years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that is a really good question. So what you're asking is how how do we how do we what what steps do we take to bring the most. I guess, authentic truth forward. Yeah. yeah. And what is it even? Um, and so you're, you're asking me as like, in, from the journalist perspective, from the not, journalist not perspective, from the, okay. not from the public perspective. Um, yeah. Well, it goes, you know, it, it goes back to, again, you know, is the journalist in question, do they have political leanings? Are they trying to push a certain message? Mm. Um, and we're unfortunately in an age of a lot of that right now. But most good journalists are not like that. Okay. Again, um, it kind of goes back to what I said that, you know, our, <laughs> our institutions, public records... You know, it's it's all out there. All the truth is out there. And as long as you perpetuate that and are persistent, mm-hmm. 
that's just what you have to go on and you have to be persistent. And even in the wake of people doubting you and saying that you're fake news, as long as you have the evidence, that's, that, that's all you, that's all you really can do. Yeah. It's like that. It's like that new one Nike ad with Colin Kaepernick. Uh, I don't know if you watched that. It's like, mm. uh, stand up for something, even if it means sacrificing everything, which is kind of what he did also. Um, I see that. So you're saying that is in, in this time of fake news, a journalist who supposedly represents the truth must be persistent and, you know, hope that even, even if he or she or they can make a dent in, in, in the psyche toward a, po- a direction which they feel like is truthful and they, then they've done their job. Right. Um, but I would like to move on to a more pressing subject. Now it's like, so now, obviously, we talked a bunch about uh, smartphones and like how everyone's like consuming information all the time, right? Um, you've you've had a lot of newsroom experience yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the statistics that I read uh, was that the newsroom is dying in the U.S. with newsroom jobs being decreased by twenty three percent, and it implies that visual storytelling, which is now only restricted to social media platforms uh, such as Facebook, uh, you've got Instagram stories, you've got Instagram videos. Now that's going to translate in the newsroom as well. So uh, more artists and photographers will have jobs in mainstream news outlets than regular anchors or orators. Mm-hmm. Could you talk about that? Are you aware of yeah, that? that's really great that you bring that up um, because that's something that I, you know, that I have as a, that I have noticed as a journalism student in this day and age, you know, who's kind of on the tail end of his university career. I'm, graduating early in December. Um, yeah, there's definitely um, kind of an ongoing evolution of sorts in term in with journalism and media. Um, you know, a lot of, especially just me from my own experience, broadcast media, I think is something that is in the next 10 years, it's going to look very different than it is now. Um, you know, right now we still have a lot of, you know, local news stations and local radio and things like that and kind of stuff that's very kind of set in tradition. Mm. And I have noticed that even in some of my classes, um, just certain like stylistically, like how one should sound on camera, how one should frame a certain story. There's, there is a big structure to it all, um, which is still good because it's very established. It's been successful, obviously, um, but because of the advent of multimedia, smartphones, social media, the way in which media is conveyed and consumed is going to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and nobody really knows what that's going to look like, but all I can say is that, you know, media outlets, publications, um, they just need, they just need to adapt. They just need to yeah. adapt to the times and the ones that adapt to the times are going to remain successful and um, continue to create informative, entertaining content. And those mm-hmm. that don't adapt are not going to do well. Talking about content, um, what sort of stories inspire you? Like, what is something that you specifically like to chase and present mm-hmm. to the world? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I think there's there's two... I think there's there's two avenues that that that, that inspire me. Mm-hmm. Um, firstly, one is um, 
you know, I, I, I love music journalism. That's definitely something mm-hmm. that I've just discovered a passion for in college. Yeah. Um, I just think it's really inspiring to talk to someone who's put their heart and soul behind something, something creative and there is putting that out there for the world to see. Mm-hmm. And it's, you, it's, it's so wonderful. And, and you're showcasing that, yeah. you know, you're letting that person be vulnerable with you and, and take you to some really happy places in their life, but also yeah. take you to some really dark places in their life. Yeah. And then how that all factors into their art that they create. So that's, that's, that's very inspiring to me. Um, another one, one other thing that really inspires me too is, you know, when I, when I meet someone from a different country or culture or a different background than me, you know, even if it's somebody who, you know, they don't have to be from somewhere else, but just somebody who, who has a different, different background story, different backstory than me, Uh um, and if their life has had trial and tribulations and they're here now in front of me telling me about that, that's something that I find very inspiring. Um, and it could be anything. Um, my most recent news story I wrote was about this um, synagogue in Belmont. It's a suburb right outside of Boston. I'm aware of that, yeah. um, and the synagogue there has a group that helps refugees and immigrants when they um, from all over the world. Um, when they come to the Boston area to resettle, um, and I spoke to the, and I spoke to a woman from uh, Afghanistan who came here with her family, and that was fascinating because she, and that was so inspiring to me because you know she and her husband and two kids they're here they're living a normal life now but they had to literally drop everything, um, in Afghanistan and come here, and wow. And so, you know, it's it's very interesting for me to just, again, you know, you, you put yourself in the shoes of other people. Um, so I don't know. It's inspiring to me when, you know, I, I'm, I'm doing a story on someone, something, or an event of some sort, or a group of people who experienced, you know, some form of trial and tribulations, and, and, they've, and they've prevailed. Or maybe they haven't prevailed yet, and they're still fighting. Um, yeah. You know, I also think with with storytelling too, your own personal experiences can factor in to um, to how you receive people, to how you listen to people. Interesting. Um, I lost my dad in February. He had a brain tumor. I'm sorry. Thank you. Um, you know, it happened very very fast. Um, it was just something that came on literally within six months of him being diagnosed. He was gone. It was very hard. Um, but it, it almost makes you a more compassionate storyteller when you have a personal experience to 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 kind of use as a as as a, as a home base. It doesn't necessarily have to be loss, but I mean it could be any personal experience. Um, and I think if you can, again, kind of go back to those moments and that experience of yours, it can really help you relate to other people and be a compassionate storyteller. I love that man. That was that was really inspiring. Thank you. That <clears throat> I lost my voice. That that was that was something. <laughs> Thank uh, you. I don't know if I I don't know if I was rambling there. No, no. I love that. I love that. It's it's it brought out something that was unexpected and and delightful, to say the least. Because, I mean, I I never think thought of it like that. I I when I think about storytelling, I think about it as as something you can learn from a course in Coursera. 
you know, you can learn by understanding how the plot of a novel works. It's like, you know, you've got the you've got the beginning, the premise, you've got the protagonist in that premise, you've got what the protagonist wants, then you've got a conflict, right? The protagonist goes up fighting through conflicts, finally you reach the climax where either he or she gets what they want or more shit gets locked in their way. And then in the end, as after the climax, you know, the protagonist is transformed and you find this sort of catharsis or the lack of a catharsis. Like you mentioned with like, uh, like the, like the family, the, the, the Afghani family, like, mm. are they still struggling? Is this, this a story set in a particular moment in time? Something that you want to update later on in the future? You want to leave people with that sort of feeling of dissatisfaction, but something that's real and grounded in the human mm -hmm. experience? Mm -hmm. Or do you want to also show the the happy ending or yeah. like a ending at all, yeah. right? Yeah. So, well, and the thing is too, I, I just want to stress that everybody has their own experiences that they can go off of. You don't have to have lost a family member. You don't have to have, you know, fled your country or anything like that. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody goes through raw human emotion, raw human experiences. And I think as a storyteller, no matter what your content is, no matter what platform you're on, go off your personal experiences. It's kind of like going with your gut. I love that. I love that. It's yeah. so interesting because nowadays, especially with the sort of influencers and thought leaders that you follow in these industries, there's there's an evident kind of uh, preaching of formulas and algorithms and here's how to increase our outreach, which is great. Like don't that's great. Like that's the technical side. Having a bigger audience matters. But but the key thing now, especially with the advent of social media, is that everyone's a digital marketer, everyone's a self help guru, everyone's a journalist Everyone's a social media model. Everyone is a storyteller. And I love that, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But like you said, you don't see the person behind the story. All you see is a bunch of uh, logarithms and uh, techniques and, and gimmicks to get them to a level. But the reason why a lot of people, especially young people who start off with uh, daring ventures in the new media, fail, and I've experienced some of this my own, is, is because they, they believe that to make it in this space, you can just get by with these tools that these people give to you. But what, what's often left out, and that's what I love about journalism, is, is the pursuit of truth. And if you, you know, if you, if you bring that pursuit of truth within yourself, if, if you like direct that energy within yourself, that itself will reflect in your work. And that's going to create a way more potent uh, piece of work have like I was just reading this quote today um, in this online journal called Brain Pickings, and it said that if you write deeply from within yourself, and if you write things that really interest you, forget what you've been influenced by, forget what people say works. But if you really, even if that is uh, something like you know, uh, like having, like collecting uh, weird furniture, right? If if that's something that you're really passionate about and you do all of that, and you put in your passion day in and day out, I mean, it's it's like, it takes two months, and people will start sucking in. Yeah. <laughs> and I find that fascinating, because, yeah. like, even with this podcast, I was like, you know, I can go in, and I can start talking about, like, 
oh, blah, 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 where are you from? What's your story? But like, what's something that really drives me? Mm-hmm. And it's it's that sort of uh, appreciation and, and manic... Uh, pursuit of of excellence and i when i say excellence it's it's a really broad term i've been really into self-development and personal growth and i felt like what is the better epitome of that than the vitruvian man which is you know the perfect human form um but yeah that's uh that's fascinating man i do want to kind of start wrapping things up so um i want to ask you about the current state of media mm. which is uh so like we already discussed broadcast journalism is dying mainstream media is you know people are skeptical well, you should say broadcast journalism broadcast journalism is dying is that inaccurate it's not dying it's just evolving i mean there's there's kind of it's like i said earlier it's there's some traditional styles and it's just it just needs to adapt a little bit you right. know okay but but i i, I know what you're saying though there I is like TV. traditional traditional i know don't yeah. watch tv yeah. yeah yeah i know that's why it needs to adapt yeah, exactly. so, I mean, there's a lot, but, but that's the thing that I want to stress on is, like, you're a journalist, right? And and oftentimes, that could be wrong, this is my layperson's view of it, um, is, is, you know, established disciplines like law and journalism mm-hmm. don't adapt as fast to changing technology. Um, th- think about the, the Joe Rogan experience as a podcast, right? It's long-form content, it's videographed. Mm-hmm. You can also hear the audio, but it's three hours of content, right? And not everyone who watches TV would be interested in watching that. So journalism is changing so much. People are interested in long-form content. But then but then, there's also like this, this sect of people who are all about just skimming through the stuff. Yeah. Highlights, summaries, um, you know, audiobook summaries, um, skims, listicles, all of that. Mm-hmm. So there's this... It's it's kind of like a contrary thing where long form content is also rising, but but skim content is also rising. And you're someone who's 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 done radio shows, who's done uh, TV, who's done articles, who's done like interviews. Um, what's like the one platform or like the one medium where you can really like strike gold? Mm. You know, I think for you personally, for me personally, yeah. Um, for me personally, I think streaming content is where everything is headed and is where mm. is where it's all at right now. Whether the streaming content is video, whether it's audio or if it's like multimedia. I yeah. think stuff that people can pull out their phone and watch or listen to, open up their laptop and watch and listen to streaming. I think that's that's where everything's at right now. Um you know, it's why Netflix is every year it just gets bigger and bigger. More subscriptions, more mm-hmm. shows, bigger budget. Um, yeah, I think any any type of streaming content, mm-hmm. that's that's where it's at. I, right are now. you taught that in your classroom though? Because because no, no, no. Journalism academia has not evolved. No, I would say no. I I will say there is. There is there is a good effort right now for evolving and mm-hmm. and you know journalism professionals who are college professors they understand that and yeah. they are making a very good effort, um, but there but yeah I mean 
And with, I mean, with every profession, you still need to learn, like, the fundamentals and the basics. And, like, yeah. what you get at a good school, like BU, specifically, mm-hmm. COM, College of Communication. Which is, which is shit on all the time. <laughs> it is, the by, by all, by the rest of the BU community. Which is not true at all. Actually, like, fun fact about COM, 2015 is when you got in, 2015 is when I got in. It has a personal admission rate of about 12 or 13%. Yeah. Which you can you can get into the College of General Studies at BU really easily, but to get into Com is actually way tougher. It's yeah. like one of the top ten journalism and film teams. Well, schools. and yes, and you know, it goes back to what you said about you know, yeah, we're not like necessarily taught that idea of like okay, streaming and on demand content or where things are going. Mm-hmm. That's kind of just my view. Yeah. I wasn't really taught that. That's just something I've just kind of picked up myself. Yeah, but a lot can be, especially with journalism and media it is important to kind of have those core skills yeah and i would not have got those anywhere else other than the journalism the journalism department at bu um i've really been educated very well in the in just kind of the basic craft of storytelling but and also even though you know yeah there's some things in my classes where you know, yeah, I learned these basics and some of this other stuff I've kind of just picked up on my own. Mm-hmm. Having the class as a base allowed me to kind of explore those different avenues for yeah. myself. Because you had show and footing. Yes, yeah. And, you know, all the other opportunities that I've been able to immerse myself in wouldn't have happened had I not been at BU. You know, one of my... Um, you had to take this as an adver- advertising major, right? Yeah. So, COM 201? I have taken it, yeah. yeah. So every, every, inter- introduction to communication writing. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, my professor who I had for that, Jay Atkinson, one of my favorite professors I've ever had. Um, we're pretty close. Talk, talked to him a lot. Um, so, I had him my second semester. And one of the things he talked about, you know, at one point in the semester was... He actually said this a few times throughout the semester. He was like, it's kind of like a silly analogy, but like it makes a lot of sense. It's like college is like an iceberg. Mm. The part above the water that's exposed, you know, it's like a formidable size. Yeah. You can see it, but the big part is what's underneath. I love that. And it but it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And that's and that's how I felt about my journalism and media education experiences. Mm. I've got these core values, but I use those core values to then explore a lot of different opportunities yeah. and learn a lot of my own. And honestly, I think that's what that's what college is for. I mean, you're not going to learn everything in your classes. Absolutely not. Like so, um, um, but yeah. Going back to what you originally said. Yeah. Streaming. Streaming. Where it's all at. I love that, man. It's it's that that's. I mean, it's not a silly analogy at all because it it makes sense. I I was having a discussion with my friend. I was actually having a discussion with Mother who's filming a video right now. I was like, you know, you gotta escape the view bubble if you want to experience something. Because you're always in an echo chamber of you can say, well, there's some diversity. I mean, of course, like on, on paper, yeah, but like diversity of opinion, by the way. Uh yeah, there's some diversity of opportunity, there's some multiple perspectives, but remember that it's still a certain square kilometer radius of people who have paid to stay in that radius, right? And then they're being educated. But it's like you get the theory here. But if you don't implement that theory, which is to say that you go outside that bubble and you expand that, you, it's like field test your assumptions. You know, if you don't test those assumptions, if you don't go and get your 
um, assumptions crushed or fortified mm-hmm. uh, in the outside world, you don't really learn. And then once you're yeah. out of college, it's harsher for you, especially yeah. if you did not realize that you were living in a bubble. Then yeah. it's like you're almost pushed out of the womb of your mother for the third time. The first time yeah. is when you enter college. Then the third time, uh, the first time is when you actually are born, and the second time is when you enter college, and the third time is you leave it, right? Um, but so, last uh, final question: As someone who's interested in stories, period. As someone who's interested in the pursuit of truth, and as someone who does not have a journalism degree, what's one thing that can help them stand out? So, so for someone who doesn't have like a journalistic education, yes. Um, in term in and in terms of their content standing out. In ter- well, yeah, their content, the stories they tell, the stories they tell, the content yeah. they create. Yeah. Um. Do it from a point of compassion. You know. Do it from a do it from a point of compassion where. You obviously, yeah, you look at what it, what's in it for you. Uh-huh. You want to create captivating content. Right. But you also want to help others, to entertain others, to inform mm. others. Yeah. So look at it as almost like a, a, a thing where you're helping others. Interesting. Yeah. Because it actually, when you're saying, when you're telling stories, like I think of, I think about, tribe rituals where you know tribes would sit down around the fire and the village mm-hmm. elder would tell the story it's not for the purpose of getting reverence which they do get because they're elder but it's more for informing opinion yeah uh planting the seed in someone's head and mm-hmm. it's so crazy you know like i mean when you're in that position when you can really say something and it becomes a seed for someone else's whole life that is a really scary but awesome job because the level of responsibility on your yeah. shoulders is... I mean, do you want to talk more about no, that? It, no, I think it's cool that you say that that's a very, that's a very scary but awesome responsibility. And yeah. you're absolutely right. Because, you know, there are a lot of people in this world who, you know, who are... Their, their, their thoughts and their mindsets are very malleable. You yeah. Know? I mean, everybody, everybody is kind of at a point like that in their life at some point, whether they're very young or maybe they've been through something where they're totally rethinking their whole life. Um, humans are naturally impressionable. So you're absolutely right. It's, it is, it's a being, being a, an effective storyteller. It's a, it's an important responsibility, but yeah, if it's. Clearly, in, in this day and age, right now, there's been yeah. some uh, there's been some scary things. Yeah. But, um, but no, like to 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 sum everything up, I think, I think you know, media and storytelling and this whole landscape, it's 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 gonna evolve for the better. And um, like I said, the good storytellers are gonna prevail. There's gonna be a persistence of sticking to truth and facts and. Ultimately, that will all come out on top at the end of the day. Awesome, man. I do want to leave the viewers with this uh, rather dismal lyric from a Jim Morrison song, which I just recall because you mentioned how young people are immalable. Uh-huh. So the song is called The Ghost Song. And he says, Ghosts crowd the young child's fragile eggshell mind. 
And he's basically referring to how, well, it's at the team and like, when you're young and you're impressionable, you, um, if you get subjected to persuasive speakers, but their intention is malicious, then you become them. And so this is Adrian Thomas. He's here in the pursuit of truth, multimedia, content, journalism, everything. Do you have a Twitter or like some social media handle? Yes. At Adrian B. Thomas on Twitter, uh, Instagram at Adrian B. underscore Thomas. That's Adrian B. Thomas. Yes. Okay. Just follow him there. Pursuit of truth. My man at BU. And we're checking out now. See you next week. Sayonara.